Welcome, and thank you for joining us for Simple Truths, the podcast of Bible Baptist Church of Wilmington, Ohio. Today, we will dive into God's Word to seek simple truths for everyday life. Let's join Pastor Josh Dixon for today's Simple Truth. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 34 in your scripture. Let's stand this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 1 of that text, if you'll follow along with me. I'll read down through about verse 10. Verse 1, chapter 34, the book of Deuteronomy. It says, And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, and that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan, and all of Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, unto the utmost sea, in the south, in the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, unto Zor. That sounds like a great place, the city of palm trees, doesn't it? Verse 4, And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes. That's important. But thou shalt not go over thither. That too is important. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Pur. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. That's interesting, isn't it? And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, verse 9, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands upon him. The children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel, like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew. Look at this, face to face. What a phrase, huh? Thank you so much for standing in honor of the reading of God's word. You may be seated this morning. We've been visiting the high places of the scriptures, reacquainting ourselves with the God of the mountain. These scriptural mountaintops are unique movements of God in the lives of those that that believed in him the strongest. And I hope that you are realizing God has made special appointments in all of our lives where it is evident that he is moving. Would somebody testify to that? And I'm believing that even this morning, this is one of those mornings that we'll meet him somewhere on the mountain. In our text today, we see that the people are are getting ready to possess the land that was promised to Abraham, verse 4 tells us, to Isaac and to Jacob. We know at this juncture of our journey, being on these different scriptural mountaintops, God makes, keeps, and assures his promises. Mercy. I said God makes keeps, and assures us of his promises. Think about it in your own life. Think about your salvation. If you're saved this morning, that is a godly promise to you personally, that God is not only going to save you from your sin, he's going to keep you from sin. That's a mountaintop, isn't it? Think about your baptism. That's a promise on your side of the salvation relationship that you have with God. 
And notice that salvation comes before baptism, doesn't it? But baptism, your baptism, your spiritual baptism is a mountaintop experience. It's your obedience to the things of God. Life accomplishments. And listen, those could be all over the place in the way of what those accomplishments might be in your life. But some of those things are God's blessing. It's God's will for your life. Those are mountaintop experiences. God's reminder to you of his blessing upon you and your, your life. Think about your marriage. We cannot celebrate marriage and family enough within the day and time that we are living. Your marriage, that godly covenant, but that's a godly covenant. That's a mountaintop experience in your life. When you step back and look at this this text, our text from Deuteronomy chapter 34, when you step back and look at it from a distance, you find that this mountain is a very close, it's a very private setting of God and his faithful servant, old Moses. Moses was used to getting alone with God, wasn't he? You know anything about the Old Testament, you know anything about the life and testimony of Moses, you know that this was a regular part of his interaction with God. God God typically called him alone with him so that he could communicate. It was common. He's known as the backside of the desert kind of a leader, isn't he? In verse 10 of our text, you'll notice, and it says in verse 10 of chapter 34, and there arose not a prophet since uh, in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew, what? Face to face. Moses was used to getting alone with God. He'd learned that when God had something to say, he did so in privacy. Whether it was like in this text to Moses personally, or even to the children of Israel, God wanted to speak specifically to his man, and then his man to the people. We know that Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy. However, it was customary to include an obituary to the final work of a great leader. So in that text of of our opening verses in verse 34, most likely it was Joshua that was pinning these words and helping us to know the end of life story of this great leader. That's what we're sharing. That's what we're reading. That's what we're focusing on this morning. These closing remarks, they took place on Mount Nebo. Allow us, they allow us to see the gentle interaction. I like that, don't you? The gentle interaction of a loving God in the life of a weathered yet well-favored saint. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of interaction that I'm seeking with God. Can you imagine what it was, what was going through the mind of Moses as he traveled out of the plains of Moab up to the mountain of Nebo? He knew that God was calling him up there. Can you imagine? Now listen, he knew something about God. He was in tune with God in his relationship. He knew likely that this was the end. Can you imagine what was going through his mind as he traveled out of the plains and he he started the incline up to the mountain of Nebo? I'm certain, and you are too, that he was recalling the journey. With each step that he took, he was replaying some of the regrets that he had in life. I have a few of those. How about you? He was also recalling some of the some of the lessons that God had taught him. He certainly was, was a part of some lessons that God not only taught him, but taught his people, the children of Israel. And then the blessings. The blessings of being God's chosen leader for the chosen people. The blessings that overwhelmingly surpass all of those shortcomings. I'm thankful for that too, aren't you? 
God's mercy and grace that's surpassing all of those regrets and shortcomings. As he travels up to the mountain and he interacts with God, notice today, number one, the trial, the trial of Mount Nebo. The reason for this meeting on Mount Nebo is found all the way back, if you'll hold your place here and turn to Numbers, Numbers chapter 20, please. Hold your place in our home text and let's go to the book of Numbers. Go left, one book, and find chapter 20. The reason for this meeting up on the mountain is found in this text. Trial is is trumped, excuse me, trial is trumped through God's detail. If you'll notice in chapter 20, the book of Numbers, look at verse 3, if you would, please. I'm going to read several verses quickly, if you'll follow along. It says, And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord unto the wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there. And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us unto, unto this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces. The glory of the Lord appeared unto them. Pause there and look up here. Let's make a little bit of application. Boy, they did the right thing, didn't they? They fell upon their face before a holy God. I wonder this morning if some of us don't need to fall on our face. And please notice what happens once they fall on their face. Once they humble themselves before God, God what? God appeared to them. God showed up. It says in verse 7, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak, that's key, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and there shall bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. Moses took the rod, in verse 9, from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, you rebels. Whoa, 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 whoa. What did you say, Moses? Now, God knew that they were rebellious. Please say amen to that. But God did not say to Moses, Go before them and tell them how sorry they are. Did he? No. He didn't say anything in that regards. And so let's, let's continue. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation. He said unto them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Moses lifted up in verse 11 his hand with his rod. He smote the rock twice. The water came out abundantly. The congregation drank their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Trial is trumped through God's detail. The people were complaining. It says that they chode with Moses and Aaron. They were comparing the circumstances to the past. They were comparing the circumstances of the current day, the day of promise. They were comparing those circumstances all the way back to the days that they were in Egypt. Now, I want to say to you this morning that these things are dangerous for God's people to do, to complain and to compare. Please say amen to that. They have lost their godly vision. They have lost their purpose in him. They had been removed, get this, they had been removed from Egypt now for 40 years, but they were still enslaved in their flesh to the way it used to be. God had provided, as you know, the entire time 
as they had journeyed away from the Red Sea, the splitting, the girls just sang about that, the splitting of the Red Sea. God had provided everything that they had needed the entire way, but they were failing to look and rely on his detail, please notice that, on his detail in every season. There's something for us, there's something for us as God's people in that point alone. It's very possible that you as a, as a believer, as a church member, have been somewhat discouraged in recent days. As we look around in our, our culture, our cancel culture, and we see all that is going on in society and the world today, we hear all of the wickedness, all of the evil. It would be easy for us to lose our godly vision. It would be easy for us to look at our, our leadership or the lack thereof and become discouraged. Moses and Aaron started the right way, going to the door of the tabernacle, but they did not follow every detail that God had instructed. In verse 8, God said, speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth water. God was wanting to set this instance apart from the previous. You do realize that, right? There are two times that God brought forth water from a rock for the children of Israel. The first time God told Moses to take the rod and smite the rock and water will come forth. This time he told Moses, speak to the rock and water will come forth. There's detail within the very words of God. He was, he was increasing the leadership of Moses in the eyes of the people. Listen, before I had you do an action to bring forth the water, now I'm going to show my power through your very words. Don't hit the rock. Speak to the rock, and I will provide. Here he wanted to display an increase in authority and leadership and speak something into existence. Isn't that what God does all of the time? We go to the book of Genesis, and we'll find that God speaks things into existence. He was trying to prove and remove the critical spirit of the people through his power in his man. But Moses took things into his own strength and his own power. The tragedy of failed trial. At this point in his ministry or in his life, the meekest man loses control of himself and disobeys God. Verse 11 tells us that God blessed the end even though he disapproved of the means. That's our merciful God, isn't it? This teaches us that God is just as concerned with the way we handle his will Please listen to that. As he is the will itself, we often pray and seek God's will for our life. God's not only concerned just about his will being performed in your life. He's concerned the way that you carry out his will. The testimony that's involved in carrying out his will. God means what he says. Even though he is gracious and merciful, some things remain as consequence to failed trial. Verse 12 of this text says, Therefore shall ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I've given them. Read between the lines. Moses, I told you exactly what to do. You did not follow my detail. And so the book of Hebrews tells us, as a father is to his son, I have to chasten you. You're not going into the land with the people. Mount Nebo is a place in which God honors his promise, but only to the extent of visual experience for Moses. What a picture of restoration. What a picture of fellowship and consistency of God in the life of a believer. Mount Nebo is a place of nurture in the trial. Number two, we see the transition of Mount Nebo. Go with me, if you would, to chapter 31 of 
the book of Deuteronomy. We're finished in the book of Numbers. Let's go back close to our home text in Deuteronomy chapter 31. If you're with me, say amen. All right, then. From this altitude, God reminds us that his work goes beyond any of us. It's bigger and more important, the work of God, that is. It's bigger and more important than any of our talent and reputation. Somebody ought to say amen to that. I think that at times we struggle with that reality. We almost think at times that we have to be involved for the work of God to be successful or saved. Let me just go ahead and bust your bubble. God doesn't really need you. God's going to get his way one way or another. Now God wants to use you. What a humbling truth. I don't, I don't feel like you're getting that. God wants to use you. If you're saved, say amen. God wants to use you for his work. He wants to nurture you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to interact with you. He wants to call you to a place like Mount Nebo and say, look, look out across here. You know what this is, Moses? This is my promise. Everything I've ever told you and my people, you get to see. You get to see it for yourself. God wants to use us. God wants to be involved with us. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, the same's true for you. God wants to change and transform your life through your faith, but you have to accept him first. God wants to be involved in and with us. He wants to he wants to truly be our God. He wants to be in a relationship with us. The, but we have to trust the transition. Moses announces to the people himself in this text of Deuteronomy chapter 31 that there is going to be a seasonal transition. And let me say that this morning. Life is full of these. Life is full of transitions. Life is never the same. There's always a beginning. There's always an ending. And there's always a new beginning right? Life is seasonal. Chapter 31 in the book of Deuteronomy, verse 1, look at what it says. And Moses went and spake these words unto all Israel. And he said unto them, I'm 120 years old this day. I can no more go out and come in. Also the Lord hath said unto me, thou shalt not go over this Jordan. The Lord thy God, verse 3, he will go over before thee. What's he saying? You don't need me. You need God. And he's going to go over before you. Take your eyes off of me and place them on God. Do you hear him say that? Because I do. Verse 7 of this text, if you'll jump. It says in verse 7 of chapter 30, uh, excuse me, back in 34 of our home text. Glance at that. Deuteronomy 34, verse 7. Moses again was 120 years old when he died. This eye, his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. Notice that in verse or in chapter 31, and now we see a reference in chapter 34, Moses was not physically hindered from going forward. He could have gone, physically speaking. However, he was simply at the end of a season, and he understood that God had worked up to this point, and God was going to continue to work. Moses was all in on Joshua's capability of being their leader. He had seen Joshua grow. He had put Joshua in leadership, uh, military leadership. He had personally invested in Joshua. For us to trust in a godly transition, we have to keep our eyes fixed on what God is doing in our life. Hey, and, and by the way, we know something about transition, don't we? Here in a couple of weeks, there'll be five years to a major transition that God did in this place. 
I am thankful for our past, but I'm thankful for what God's going to do in the future too. And that's exactly what Moses is, is, has come to learn and to realize. God was so good to us in the past, but God is going to be so good to us in the future. He recognized, realized, and believed that life was full of transitions. And let me just go ahead and say this for all of us. We struggle with transition, don't we? And by transition, listen, you can apply that however you would like to apply that. Your life is going to be full of transitions. Your employment, it will have transition. Those that are over you or higher up, listen, they're going to transition. They're going to transition out. You yourself, God's going to move you and jockey you around in life so that you are right where he wants you to be. Somebody ought to say amen to that. Life's full. Life's full of transitions. Moses was all in on this. Within your life, things will never remain the same. Hey, we as a people, we're sometimes afraid of transition. Life's full. Life is full of transitions in our life. And I want to say this to us this morning, and I think that we can grab some application from Mount Nebo. Trust God through those transitions. Do all that you can do. And Moses was certainly, certainly in this. Do all that you can do to set up for success in a transition. He says in verse 3 of this text in chapter 31, he says, The Lord thy God, he'll go over before you. God's in this, he says. In verse 6 of chapter 31, he says, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doeth go with thee. He will not fail thee, somebody ought to say amen, nor forsake thee. God's in this, he says. Some of us, we just don't weather transitions well. And I wonder the reasoning behind that, is it because we're not spiritually prepared? The world is constantly transitioning in a downward spiral. But the church is to hold to strength, as he says in verse 6 of chapter 31, to our courage, to our fearless faith, and to the consistency of God. As the world is spiraling down, the church is to be spiraling up, ever transitioning closer. Somebody ought to say amen to God. We are to transition the opposite direction of the world, the totality we see of God's transition. Moses' life was complete. From the altitude of Mount Nebo, Moses' life is now finished. Back in our home text, if you turn a page or maybe two, to chapter 34, you'll find in verse 4 that it says, I have caused thee to see it with thine own eyes. Can you imagine as God led him to that perfect spot upon Mount Nebo and he caused him to look? Can you imagine the overwhelming feeling that Moses had of his faithful God? And all the times of all the times of wondering what God was doing, in all the frustrating parts and pieces of his life and leadership. As the people, as we saw in the book of Numbers, were not completely on board with Moses and especially with God. Those frustrating times of life. He now sees a completion, doesn't he? God wants each and every life to have the same sense of accomplishment and fulfillment that we see on the top of Mount Nebo. Like Moses, you'll have to do it God's way, though. Moses learned that all the way back in Egypt. Remember when he took the life of an Egyptian? He learned very quickly in that moment, in that time, in that season that he was going to have to do this God's way, that God would get the vengeance, that God would lead them out. Moses couldn't do it for God. God was going to do it for them. Some of us today, we need the totality of godly transition in our life. Some of you today, you need to transition from the world to salvation, the child of God. Some of us today, we need to, we need to get back in line with, 
with the obedience part of our life, obeying uh, what the, the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Some of us need to, to renew our relationship. Some of, us, some of us, we need to accept what God is currently doing in, in our life in the way of transition. You've been afraid of the change. You've been afraid of some of the things that God might be doing and twisting and turning in your life. And I'll remind you again, your life will be full of those things. Seek God in those transitions. Number three, the trajectory of Mount Nebo. The meaning of the word trajectory is the path followed by a projectile flying object moving under the action of a given force. Now, in reality, that is us, isn't it? Moving in the force and projection of God's will, of God's hand. We see a couple of things here. First of all, we see the mysterious course. Moses died on Mount Nebo. Verses five and six of our home text tell us that. And God himself if you look at verse 6, buried him. It says in verse 6, and he, being God, buried him in a valley in the land of Moab. Now let me clarify that word valley. The word valley there does not mean the Jordan Valley. God did not allow Moses to go into the promised land in any measure. And so likely it's some crevice or some valley up on the top of Mount Nebo. No one knows, according to the scripture, no one knows the location of this burial. It's mysterious, which is honestly a blessing in disguise. If you know anything about Moses, God certainly did, you know this is the way that he would have wanted it. No shrine, no celebration, no parade of taking the casket through the, the children of Israel, all of the tribes gathering together and celebrating his life and his, his ministry and his leadership. There's, there's nothing like that. There's, there's no big sepulcher that is, that is set up or, or hewn into the stone or, or built or some kind of a burial that, that the people all gathered in the way of a funeral service. No, nothing like that at all. The last time that they saw Moses, he was walking up towards Mount Nebo, and he never came back. His death is something that is unique. His burial is something that is different than the way of the world. And isn't that true for every believer? Death for us is a homecoming. It truly is a celebration, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 11, quickly now, says something about this truth. Hebrews chapter 11, look at uh, verse 13 quickly. If you're with me, say amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says this. As you turn there, I'll begin to read. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were, look at this, persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. You see, death for the Christian, death for the believer, it's different. It's unique for us than it is of the world. It's mysterious. And then we see a glimpse of the target. Moses, this side of glory, as you all already know from our text, did not get to go into the promised land. However, however, we see that the goal is met in the gospel of Matthew. Please, if you're in Hebrews, let's go left just a little bit to the gospel of Matthew chapter 17. Some of you know where we're heading here. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, we see an old familiar face smack dab in the middle of the promised land. In chapter 17, it says in verse 1, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a, a what? A high mountain 
apart and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. Look up here very quickly. Let me explain to you if you don't understand what is happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus brings those that are closest to him, Peter, James, and John, and he brings them up on the mountain. And before their very eyes, he completely reveals his glory to them. They knew, they believed that he was Jesus, the son of God. Amen. But in this moment, he completely reveals his glory to them as God himself. They see him for who he truly and really is. We continue to read in verse 3, and behold, there appeared unto them, who? Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, this is the best phrase that Peter probably says in the ministry of Christ. He says, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Lord, it is good that we are here. Thank you, God, that I get to be in your presence. Somebody ought to testify to that this morning. It's good that I'm in church today. It's even better that I get to come back at five o'clock. Ah, some of you, you didn't know what to do with that one. It's good that we are here. But notice, notice who those guys saw. They didn't just see Jesus. Who did they see? They saw our old friend, didn't they? They saw Moses and they saw Elijah. God brought Moses all the way up to Mount Nebo. And he said, listen, I want you to look. Here's everything that I ever said. And BTW, it's everything that I said it would be. This is the promise. Moses, I know you know this, but let me confirm it. This is the promise that I made to Abraham. This is the promise that I made to Isaac. This is the promise that I made to old Jacob, the deceiver. You've led my people. You can't go in because I don't break my word, but you get to see it. But God's so merciful, isn't he? God's so gracious that on the other side, when Jesus said, boys, I want you to come up here because I want to give you a little proof of who I am. I want to confirm Peter and James and John what you believe about me. And when he reveals his glory to those disciples who is standing beside him, no other than old Moses in the promised land. Thank you for joining us today for Simple Truths. If you would like to accept Christ as your Savior, or if you have questions, please give us a call at 937-383-1122. Or check us out on the web at bbcwilmington.org. Simple Truths is a podcast sponsored by Bible Baptist Church of Wilmington, Ohio. We hope you have a great day, and may God bless you.